you're so critical of your own video, especially the creative types are so critical of their own content, but yet they've just watched six other videos and they couldn't tell me how the lighting was or did the creator do a good job in delivering they couldn't tell me any of that because they weren't looking for it they were just enjoying the content but yet for your own one especially as a creator you go no no it's expected from me it's very difficult to grow that way hello and welcome to another episode of the golden hour podcast brought to you by the polar pro studio I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Liron Segev. You also may know him as a consultant and director for vidIQ, the number one browser extension for YouTubers. But the great thing about him is that he's not just a teacher without any experience. He's had years and years of experience on the internet, developing code, working with tech products, but also growing his own personal YouTube channel. In fact, back in April, he had 100,000 subscribers, and now in September, he actually reached 200,000 subscribers. That's right, in just a few months, he was able to double his subscriber growth by implementing the things that he teaches for vidIQ. This conversation is very YouTube heavy, but if you are any type of content creator, there are a lot of topics that we cover here. If you're an artist who's thinking about getting into a little bit of YouTube or a little bit of Instagram, you're gonna love this. If you're a full-time content creator, there is a wealth of information here. And we actually fielded a bunch of questions on Twitter on my Twitter at Dave Mays, where we asked you guys for questions and we, you know, asked them to Liron and he answered them. But before we get to our conversation with Liron, who, by the way, is from South Africa, so you're going to really enjoy the accent. All of us Americans love it. I have to tell you guys about the incredible Peter McKinnon Variable Neutral Density Filter version 2 that just dropped on Polar Pro's website. It dropped last week. I told you about it on the last episode, but now it's actually here. It's finally here. You can go learn all about it. A diffusion filter version of the McKinnon filter. Trust me when I say this, you want this to be in your kit as a video creator. One of the major upgrades to the new Variable Neutral Density Filter Mark II, Peter McKinnon in addition is that it has hard stops on it when you change your exposure. Often on these variable neutral density filters, you're not sure of how many stops you're actually lowering the exposure. On the older McKinnon filter, we had numbers on it to tell you where those things were, but if you're behind the camera and you can't see the lens, say you have a monitor on top or something, you're gonna have to like reach around and look and you know, it's not hard to do, but now with this new filter, you can actually feel the stops by hand. There's nice clicky points on each filter that allows you to know exactly when those exposure ramps are happening and it is a much better way to work. In addition to adding the hard stops, we also have an option to buy a variable neutral density filter, and by the way, this is first in the industry, with diffusion built into it. That's right. The diffusion filters that have been really popular in the industry in Hollywood for years are now implemented into this new McKinnon filter. The diffusion is not super strong, so it's something that you can have on your lens at all times if it's an aesthetic that you wanna go after. I personally have used diffusion filters on cameras for years as a DP and director, and it always added that little filmic look that I was needing 
in a digital world. Now that we're shooting on super sharp glass and in 4K resolution, sometimes even higher than that, gosh, Blackmagic has a 12K camera now, you kind of need to add a little bit more softness and I don't know, warmth to the image. That's what a diffusion filter does. It doesn't deteriorate the sharpness of the image, but it adds blooming and softness to the highlights that makes skin tones look more pleasing, as well as add nice characteristics to lighting and flares going on in the image. You're gonna have to really see it to believe it, but this really is the first time that this has been done with a variable neutral density filter with hard stops on either end, so you're never gonna get that cross pattern with the filter, plus you get the hard stops and the diffusion, oh my gosh, seriously incredible. It comes in a variety of sizes for your lenses, filter sizes, we got everything you need, and adapters if we don't have them. And these are really best in class. Take it from me, a gear reviewer, you don't see this type of stuff often. Of course, I work for Polar Pro, so take it with a grain of salt. But if you can't tell, I am very stoked for this new product, and you need to check it out at polarpro.com. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with the YouTube expert, the vidIQ man, and the techie guy, Liron Segev. All right, so here we are today with my good friend, Liron from vidIQ, also the tech guy, the techie guy, excuse me, all the way from South Africa, but obviously residing here in America in uh, Texas, I believe. Thank you, Liron, for being on the Golden Hour podcast. Oh, thank you, Dave. Very excited to be doing this. Yeah, how long have we known each other now? I guess um, oh, we kind of wow. met at maybe VidCon. VidCon or something. Yeah, two years ago, two, three years ago. I don't Man, remember. It feels like years ago, the way this year is going. Seriously. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's one of the things that I've missed the most about this pandemic is just the uh, the amazing events that happened right? throughout the year. And the events are spread out in such a great way to where pretty much every two or three months we get to kind of occasionally see each other. And uh, those types of things have really stopped. It's been one of the most uh, depressing parts of this. And I didn't really Completely. realize it was something that uh, was so much a, a part of my happiness, but it, it really was. <laughs> well, and and that, there's nothing better than meeting up with fellow creators at some event somewhere in the world and grabbing a cup of coffee and just talking shop. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves what they do. And well, now we just don't have it. And I'm sorry, Zoom and Teams and whatever else we're using is just not the same. Doesn't feel the same. <laughs> it's not. Um, although maybe our my my kids growing up with it are gonna think that that's normal and the the other way isn't. But hopefully this yeah. will be over by the time they're old enough to uh, for that to bake into their childhood. But yeah. they're gonna um, they're gonna say, Dad, you went to an office in a cubicle <laughs> with other people? No. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> well, I, I didn't. <laughs> I haven't done that. <laughs> well, but isn't it? But that's 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 actually no, quite like, a funny topic. Is that, like a lot of us creators, like we didn't miss a beat. It's, <laughs> yeah. we, we work from home. We work from our studio. We are antisocial at the best of times, yeah, and totally. we we're just online. And this thing just happens to be something that just happened around us, which is. I suppose a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah, no matter who you are, if you're if even a freelance photographer, filmmaker, or a YouTuber, um, there's a lot of time spent on a computer editing. And that it could either be at your home, or in a lot of cases, it's in coffee shops and uh, in, in a collaborative place. I know for me, I 
for some reason was more productive when I would get out of the house and right. go to Starbucks for a couple hours to just kind of bang something out real quick. And, uh, just kind of the energy and the, the, the movement and the, even the background noise kind of attributed to my mind being kind of focused, at least for me personally, I know everybody's different in that way, but I think maybe because I'm more of a social person, I just right. enjoyed literally being around people, not interacting with them, but just sitting amongst them, uh, for some reason. So <laughs> they walk amongst us <laughs> <laughs> people, um, <laughs> So, Leron, I uh, I had the uh, the honor of being on your podcast when we did see each other last at uh, VidCon, and that right. was a real uh, joy for me. I think that was maybe one of the first podcasts I was on, uh, other oh, really? than other than my own, which is funny. But okay. uh, yeah, I think I was the first. That was the first time I was a guest on someone else's podcast, I believe. But that was a great conversation. But you're kind of like an expert in so many areas you your hand is in everything you're you're in the podcast world you're on twitter all the time and really active on in the twitter community which is really fun because i am too and i love it um but it's probably a little bit of a waste of time if we're being honest um <laughs> and uh and then obviously youtube with your own stuff uh the um and and then vid, vid iq um but i don't really know your backstory and how you've arrived to this point. Like, obviously you're from South Africa and I know that you've told me that and you can kind of hear it in your voice a little bit, but tell me your journey from another country to America and, and just how you've arrived now at this point where you're just constantly creating things and, and working with creators. Oh, okay. So I'll give you the uh, PowerPoint version, the short version. Um, but basically, I've been in the tech space since, sure, I can't even remember, 93, I would say, something like that. Um, I worked in South Africa. I then worked in the UK, did a two-year stint over there, um, looking after 110,000 people on their email system um, around the world, which you can imagine is pretty busy, pretty good job. Um, did the whole Y2K thing, if you guys remember that um, little um, event in our lives, which we thought yeah. was, was a big deal back then. Um, I then moved back to South Africa. I started a mobile company, um, something called Bulk SMS, Bulk Text Messaging. You know, today you can get text messaging everywhere, but back in 2000, especially in South Africa, you couldn't text message across from one provider to the next. So like AT&T to Verizon or to T-Mobile, you couldn't do that. It was just one, only on your own network. So I wrote some software that allowed people to do that. And that was wow. my first bulk, um, first foray into the mobile space. Um, you know, I then, this is where the name of the techie guy came in because people used to call me in and say, oh, wait, hold on. You're talking to us about mobile. You're the techie guy, aren't you? Don't you want to quickly help me with whatever, <laughs> black, right? Yeah. And um, for me, taking the lazy way out, which I will admit, I figured, well, hold on. Instead of answering the same question time and time again, I'm going to write this website where I just basically answer people's questions. Mm. Now it's known as a blog. Back then it was just an HTML coded website, which I could do. And it was a lot easier to send people the link to frequently asked yeah. questions. Was this early 2000s? Like 2000? Yeah, 2000, um, a little bit later, 2004, 2005, something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah, so pre iPhone. Oh, pre, pre everything. Pre, pre, pre social media. Yeah. All of that. You know, pre the term influencer and blogger. None of that, none of that existed. <laughs> Uh, so I did that and what happened 
was brands started reaching out to me and say, look, you're explaining our products better than we are, <laughs> or you've got the, the freedom to talk about our products like we don't because we're under this corporate identity and brand Bibles that we have to abide by. Um, we'd love to start working with you, which I thought was pretty awesome. And they started kind of taking me to events and flying me around the world to various locations to, in inverted commas, cover the event, tell people about the experience, about the product, about the phone, about whatever it is that happened to be going on. And that became a thing. So my consulting work became less and less. My mobile company was operating by itself because it was, it was just um, geared on automation. So all I could devote my time was being this content creator of telling mm. people about my experiences. And uh, that kind of led me to um, the US, which is how I got in here. And I wanted to pursue the, that career as a career now. And South Africa was getting to a certain point where there wasn't anywhere I could really go. And I really wanted to be more in the hub of things. And I remember listening or watching uh, one of Casey Neistat's video back then. And I was watching I Justine back then. And it just seemed like it was all happening here. And fast forward a little bit with lots of paperwork and lots of money <laughs> and a bazillion <laughs> um, red tapes and got landed in the US on the 1st of January, 2016. Wow. Eventually off a plane wife and two kids and said, okay, uh, now what? <laughs> you know, this wasn't a carefully thought out plan. This was, uh, we got here with our luggage and we thought, well, we're here. We've got to Dallas, Texas, and mm. we figured it was mid country, easy to travel wherever I needed to go to. Um, and very much like feel, felt like South Africa weather wise and all that good stuff. And we, and we set up store. And since then, been really focused on creating content on my YouTube channel and the blog carries on and just building up, building up businesses, essentially. So you left your family and, and friends in South Africa and, and came overseas to America to pursue the American dream, if you will. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, what, what was going on in your kids' heads and, and your wife as well? I mean, obviously they're supportive. I mean, they, I, I would assume you didn't, drag him over here kicking and screaming but um what was, was that transition like? yeah <laughs> um no the, the kids were at a younger age and they um i think we all felt that it was time for a change so it was really a good opportunity which we couldn't pass up and we kind of figured we would apply and go through the motions of, of everything we needed to do and if it was meant to be then we would get this thing granted and if it wasn't well we tried so be it you know you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So we had to take the shot and thankfully it all, it all worked out and it seems to be all going well. One of the curious things for me when I meet people who, you know, live here now who are from another country, I like to ask what, what was your perceived idea? And of course these are all stereotypes, but what was your perceived idea of America before and then now that you've lived here for you know a very you know you've lived here for a good time now what have you learned about america what are some of the positive traits let's just try to be positive here but what are some of the <laughs> things that you've you've been impressed with or that you've enjoyed about this country that maybe you were wrong about or you weren't aware of when you were in south africa 
Yeah, so I did do a lot of travel to the US to tech events um, that happened to be in the States when I, when I was still living there. So it wasn't a complete shocker, to, um, so to speak. But the, the one thing that I will say, you don't you don't actually realize how big the US is until you're here. And it's not, you know, to me, the US isn't kind of, the st- each state is a country because wherever you go, there's different cultures, different, you know, different accents, different way of doing things. And I kind of like that. It reminds me of the time I lived in Europe where, you know, a couple of hours here and there, you're in a different country and everything's different again. The US is not, it, whilst it's got lots of common denominators across everything, there are, every state is, does it have its own quirks, its own positive, its own negatives, but it's, every state is different. And it's just one of those things you realize only when you're here. And if we work from a professional point of view, you know, in South Africa, you dealt with one company. If you're dealing with a brand that would have one PR agency, a public relations agency, and you would deal with them. Whereas here, the country is so big, whichever brand you're dealing with, they might have one company dealing with one product line in one part of the States. Whereas it's some, you know, for different part of the States, it's a different company, different connections. That just kind of tells you how big this place is, which is like, wow. And we got free refills, which is awesome. Oh, wait, that's the best, right? <laughs> we got... <laughs> yeah. It took the... us a while to get used to that. It's like, like she has kind of top you up. Okay? Like, no, thanks. I'm good. Because they are free. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the cup that they give you to begin with is already massive. Um... Yeah, I'm sorry. The small is not a small. Okay. <laughs> let, 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 let's be honest. <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas. That is a that is a true statement. Wow. I, I love that is Texas. so true. I love great, Austin. Yeah. I love da- my grandpa lives in Dallas. I've been there a lot, and uh, I have some good friends out there too. Um, Ryan Connolly from Film Riot is out there, and then uh, Sydney Diongzin I know is is oh, out there. Oh, Sydney's great. So yeah, some good some good creators out there for sure. Um, I remember when I, I actually went to Africa. I went to Kenya and uh, uh, Nairobi, um, mm-hmm. Tanzania. I never went to South Africa, but that was one of the things that I was like, oh, you have to pay for refills. <laughs> right, 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 it was, right. It was the reverse situation where I was like, yeah, top, top me off. I'll take, give me another one of those. Wait a minute, what? You charged me for three drinks? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I was in Germany uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, it was cheaper to have a glass of beer than a glass of water. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> it was a, it was about a dollar equivalent for a glass of beer, and then like a dollar fifty for for a water. So um, I, th- I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Every country has got its thing. You just gotta <laughs> adapt and improvise. That's how it works. Guess I'll have another beer then, <laughs> <laughs> if you force me to. Yeah, so um, I would assume then, just kind of guessing here, if you had the website and you you came here and you started following YouTubers that you mentioned, like Justine, like Casey, like others, I would assume that at some point you're like, hey, I should get on YouTube because obviously if I'm, you know, growing this blog and I want to be relevant on the internet, this is the, the way that things are moving forward. Tell me about your YouTube journey, how you arrived to that, and, and then transition if you if we could uh, vid iq as well sure um so i've been doing like i kind of got into youtube a little bit before i moved here but we just don't have that youtube culture back in south africa well at least not four years ago at the time that mm. i left you mean Dan wasn't, Mace wasn't around over there 
Yeah, Dan Mace wasn't on the radar yet. Uh, Casey hadn't made him popular. It was it, it was all we we had. Sorry, don't get me wrong. There were lots of really really good creators, but sure. there isn't this community like there is here. Whereas mm. here we have events. We had like the Vid Summits and the Vid Cons of the world, and yeah, true. all yeah. those don't come out to South Africa. It's just it's the what too far. It's the end of the world left, right? So um, yeah. you know, it's so we didn't have those get-togethers. We didn't have that whole how can I help? How can we help each other? There, there was none of that. So this only became a thing when I moved here, and I realized, hold on, okay. there's this whole community. Now I was already doing a lot of the YouTube stuff back then um, I, I was already um, learning I was already doing attending lots of events and really understanding the data and that's the data is where my strong suit is to really understand what's working understand the data is unemotional it's either mm. it happened or it didn't it doesn't care how many hours you put into a video it's just it doesn't feel anything it's either a one or a zero and that's, <laughs> yeah. I've always been through like through that and understanding the patterns and understanding what works and what doesn't. So my YouTube kind of journey started back in South Africa, but I really took it. My point was to take it really seriously when I got here and really focusing on the channel and really, really growing it. And I was fortunate enough to be invited to VidCon to, with this company called VidIQ. And they basically said, look, come out to VidCon, help us do these things called channel audits, where we go through people's channels and we help them just to give them some pointers of what's working and what isn't working. Mm. And having always wanted to go to a VidCon, this was a great opportunity. They flew me out there. I spent uh, two, three days solidly just reviewing a bazillion channels and helping the creators out, which really solidifies the whole idea of what YouTube is and the whole mm. community and creator community. So I did that for three days only to get a phone call a, a week later to say, okay, that was your job interview. <laughs> uh, wow. How would you like to help us start a certain division of vidIQ? Wow. Um, and that's how I got into vidIQ. Uh, been an amazing journey ever since, really building tools and building systems that I was missing as a creator and other creators in VidIQ were missing and putting all those resources together, finding where the gaps are. I know most people don't want to spend hours understanding analytics. They want to push a button, tell me what's working and what isn't working. <laughs> tell me what I must do. I don't care about the rest sure. of us. Tell me what I must do. And those are the kind of tools we've been building ever since. So um, I now head up customer customer success at VidIQ. I do lots of their events, speaking gigs, um, channel audits with really big creators to really help with strategy there, and at the same time growing my own my own YouTube channel, which has been an incredible ride. So it's been great. Yeah, I, I want to congratulate you for your uh, your recent achievement on your subscriber count. Uh, can you. you announce that to the world here? <laughs> the, the dear world. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, just recently, I crossed um, two hundred thousand subscribers, which yes. happened. Um, but what's interesting, Congrats. it happened five months, almost yep. to the day when when I hit a hundred thousand. Yes. So the journey of YouTube is super interesting. And we always tell people, you can always give up at any stage. Why give up now, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And just to kind of put people in, into the picture of, is it too late? I mean, we get this question. I'm sure you've answered this question a million times. Is it too late to get into YouTube? Well, just to kind of give you an idea, 
in November 2018, I had 10,000 subscribers. Mm. So 2020 April, I had 100,000. And 2020 September, I've got 200,000. Wow. So from 10,000 at the end of 2018 to um, September of 2020 to going up to 200,000. So is it too late to get onto YouTube? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> the channels are there. There's lots of, so to speak, competition. But yeah. if you can bring yourself to your channel or your content, whether you're creating it on Instagram, YouTube, wherever you happen to be creating on, if you can bring yourself to it, that's yeah. the magic source. And it's never too late to do that. Absolutely. I think uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram in particular are very unique social media platforms. They both have now some time under their belts where there is there is a proven path for uh, a career on, on either. I will say YouTube seems to have kind of replaced television in a lot of ways. I know for me personally, I uh, watch probably twice if not three times more youtube than uh traditional that uh, even uh traditional like netflix i, I think mm -hmm. i watch more youtube than netflix um and i pay for netflix um <laughs> but uh but yeah um it, it's it's a real business it's a real thing i think that was the biggest eye-opener for me three years ago when i started when i was like wait why didn't anybody tell me that this was a thing that i could do as a, a video maker, um, I, I thought the path to success as a as a artist was to, you know, go up in the ranks as a director, maybe move to Hollywood, maybe shoot some commercials and music videos, and then you do a short film, and then that gets seen at Sundance, and then you get a movie. Like I thought that was the thing you do as a, as a as a filmmaker. But then for me personally, it was Casey Neistat that really showed me no, you can be a filmmaker and do probably better on YouTube than you ever would as the traditional like film route. And yeah, sure. Maybe the snobby filmmakers will point their nose up at you because what you're doing isn't true filmmaking. But um, I would argue that Casey can tell a better story in 10 minutes than a lot of uh, snobby filmmakers can do in an hour, you know, totally, so. totally, totally. And I will tell you, it's this was the exact same thing that happened when blogging first came onto the scene. Mm. The traditional media, traditional press, journalists were really, they were thumbing their nose at every blogger because the, how dare people come onto their turf. They've been doing it for years. They've got the experience. They've got the journalism degree. And now you get this blogger who goes on and writes a review about the latest device. And now he's sitting on a plane next to them in business class going to an event in China. <laughs> they were not happy campers, right, at this sure. stage. Um, but then over time, guess what? They Blogging is the way you disseminate information. Blogging is the, the new way of, yeah. of doing it. You still have traditional journalists. You'll never, we'll never get away from them. Um, nor do we want to. We still need that investigative, hardline journalism. But bloggers have their place, and very much like YouTubers. Yes, if you want to watch a one-hour documentary, very few um, YouTubers are able to do that. But um, that's you know, your filmmakers are your place to go. But if you want to consume quick bites of information, mm -hmm. why should you not create your own destiny and not be reliant on the Hollywood type of style of 
interviews and auditions and producers and pitches where you can just upload today and get an audience. <laughs> Why go through all that? So yeah, yes. I'm very much with you on that. That's one of the things that Casey said, um, the barrier between your, your, your work and distribution is like, it's completely democratized now. You don't have this middleman of a producer or a exactly. studio involved in any way, making changes, making notes, or not promoting the thing. My dad is a musician. He was a, he's a, a music producer in Nashville. That's why I grew up in Nashville. And uh, he had a solo career in the 90s and early 2000s. And he had this great record. He spent years on it, had Johnny Cash featured on it. It was this, you know, probably, I think it's one of the best albums he's ever done. And the uh, the label just sent out an email and that was all they did. They just said, hey, yep. this, this album's here and uh check it out and that's that's all the promotion they did this was before the internet was really a thing mm -hmm. and i i think to myself like man if my dad was my age now and and had the internet he could have been able to distribute his his work better and get out there more um so Completely. it's it's an amazing time for sure well as, as a content creator anyway on any platform your destiny and your journey is much more in your hand than it is in somebody else's. And as much as we blame algorithms and all that good stuff for success or lack thereof, at the end of the day, if you treat your content creation as a business, if that's what you want to do, I mean, lots of people create it for the love of it, and that's 100% totally cool. If you want to teach someone how to knit and sew and you love doing that, power to you. But if you want to treat this as a business and you treat it as a business from day one, that you could really, really do well by really hustling and really getting out there. It's never been easier to network the, than it is today. A, a LinkedIn message, Twitter stalking, the, 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 the options are endless. And to be recognized by big brands has never been easier, especially since a lot of the work has been done by, dare I say, people like us who've had to educate a brand or why they should trust us with their product and their messaging and their money. Whereas today we have terms like influencer and micro influencer, nano influencer, where brands now know that they have to allocate X number of dollars to content creators to get the word out. That is what they call word of mouth. That is how people buy stuff these days. Today's social media, I could reach out to the big brands, but I could also reach out to people that I admire, people that I look up to. So I tweeted um, with Casey, a link to one of Casey's video when I reached 200,000. And Lavium here responded back to say, well, congratulations, that's huge. You know, I mean, that's awesome. How could, uh, what world could you have that before besides running, writing a pen letter to your favorite Brad Pitt star and hoping that somebody would see it. And as you said with your dad, you, they, they just sent an email and that was it. Whereas today you could do a promotion, you can do an ad campaign, you can do, you can give away some of the music for free. You can get really exposure, exposure out there, pitch the stations yourselves, put him on a podcast and <laughs> really control your destiny, which is a different world that we're living in. Well, can you talk about the, uh, you know, your tweet, it says uh, 28th of April, I hit 100,000 subs, 27th of September, I hit 200K. So, and your journey on YouTube, you know, like you said, has been, uh, you know, uh, long. I mean, you've been on it for a while. 
what what happened in those few months that allowed you to double so quickly? Can you talk so, about some of the details? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the journey is very different depending where you are in that journey, right? So mm. the way I normally teach YouTube is I say that YouTube is a skill. And just like every other skill, the more you do, the better you get it. Now, none of us were born knowing how to read and write or knowing how to ride a bicycle or knowing how to swim. But we learn those skills over the years and we practice them. And now most of us know how to drive a car, but we didn't when we were 16, but we, but we learned. And now the more we practice every day, now getting into your car now, you don't even think about it. You get in and you drive. It just really is not an issue. And the same thing equates with content creation and especially on YouTube. When you're starting out, you're kind of all over the place. You, you, you're trying to find your voice. You're trying to find an audience. You're trying to find content that works, content that you love. You're not really sure about this editing thing or this thumbnail or even worse. You're absolutely positive that you're doing the best work you can possibly do. And that's worse because now you get upset with everybody because they're all doing better than you are. But once you kind of do it more and you understand, hold on, I've got to level up the audio. I've got to level up the lights. I've got to level up my storytelling. I've got to get better at editing. I've got to learn how to tell a good story. I've got to tell a better thumbnail story within my thumbnail and my titles and my tags and description. And you start learning all those little bits of skills. The more you do those, the better you get at it. And what you tend to find is, or certainly in my case, the more I was doing it, the more I started realizing exactly who my audience is. And I think that's the biggest mistake that a lot of us make is creating content for too many people. And here's what I mean by that is you can't be all things to all people all of the time. So when you're trying to do that, well, then you're not really going to satisfy everyone. And then all those negative comments come in and they get you down. You don't feel like picking up a camera, especially at the beginning. Now, once you start realizing exactly who your audience is, and, and, I, and I mean down to like the nth degree. So I, I do an exercise with the people that I train and I tell them, well, pretend you're making a video now for your audience. Who would that be? So I can tell you, my audience, his name's Alex. Alex is between 25 and 34 years old. Alex is male. Alex has two kids. Alex um, doesn't have enough kind of free time, doesn't have lots of time to spend online, but Alex needs to solve a technical problem that he's having with his Wi-Fi or his gadgets. He just wants quick solutions, but Alex also wants to be educated. He doesn't want just to follow like a sheep. He wants to understand why. Alex has got some disposable income, but he's not going to go on and buy the latest and the greatest just because it's out. See how detailed I was? <laughs> yeah. So based on that, every video that I make now, I make for Alex uh -huh. and that's my audience. And wow. how does that help me? Mm -hmm. Well, because now if I get a call from a brand to say, Hey, we'd like you to, to review X or we'd like to work with you on this project. Unless Alex is going to watch that, then it will be an, uh, it will be a no from me. And I, and it's difficult because sometimes it's good money and sometimes it's a fun experience and, you know, but if Alex doesn't want to watch that, I'm not going to waste my energy on something that's not for my core audience. And I think that was the biggest click that happened was understanding my Alex, understanding my avatar, understanding my audience and making content yeah. for that one person. And, and being, that, 
being okay with the fact that you have a male audience or a female audience. Correct. Absolutely. That I think that's interesting. We've I've actually interviewed uh, some people on the show who have had frustration about I got too many females. You know, I want to have a better demographic. You know, I have a ninety percent. I mean, I can just tell you from my analytics, and I'm sure they're similar to yours. It's a ninety nine percent male <laughs> demographic, um, and you know, I don't. The data speaks for itself. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just is. Like I, I'm a guy, so maybe guys relate to the fact that I'm a guy. I'm sure Sarah Dietschy and uh, and Kitty from Atola Visuals have more females, but I have spoken to both of them, and they they also have a majority male demographic as well. So, um, the, being in the tech and gadget space just inherently is um, seems to be a more male uh, interested space. So kind of accept that fact and and make it for alex i think that's that's a smart thing to do i think a lot of people try really hard to get people they don't have when they're not just capitalizing on what they already have (laughs) Uh, completely it's the same thing as when you're opening up a retail store in the real world you Mm. know you're not gonna just open up on some random corner you're going to do your research. You're going to understand who the demographics of the area is. How much money do they have to spend? Do they walk or do they drive? Are you relying on foot traffic or is it going to be people in the drive-through? You know, you're going to make all those those assessments. Yeah. And the one thing we're very fortunate with YouTube is we have so much data. So when we look at our data, as I said at the beginning, it's unemotional. It is what it is. You might want to have a 99% female audience, but it just isn't. So now you have a choice. What do you do? Do you pivot your entire channel because you think is what you want to get? Or do you serve your audience that you already have? Mm. And a lot of people make the mistake of really not servicing the audience that they have and not realizing that, guess what? Your YouTube channel is Mm. actually not for you. Your YouTube (laughs) channel is for an audience. That's why you're doing this. So look at your data your data will literally tell you that and i'm sure different genres have got different demographics and all of that but at least they understand who their core audience is and once you understand your alex your avatar Uh once you really understand that that is when that that becomes your filter of how do you grow from ten thousand to twenty thousand or a hundred to a thousand yeah you grow that by really serving that audience and because you're that niche, you're that specific, you're catering to them, that is just gives you that accelerated growth. I know for me, there was a, a an epiphany I had when I realized, you know what, there's actually the things that excite me most are, uh, are cameras, gear, you know, kind of going into the nitty gritty of those things and making them as entertaining as possible. But let's be honest, it's it's a smaller niche than if I were to just talk about beginner level things all the mm-hmm. time or talk from a more, uh, I don't, there's other people, let's just say Peter McKinnon, who has done an incredible job of, of, of being a personality of speaking from a more beginner standpoint so that people really resonate with what he's doing, but also just become attracted to his personality. And, and then they end up just showing up because they want to watch him um, I, along with Gerald Undone and a lot of other people have, a, it's a smaller niche audience that are interested in that 
particular format of video. I mean, Gerald Undone, I, I remember a friend of mine was asking about the new Sony camera, and I sent him Gerald's video. And he said, hey, can you send me another video? I, I don't understand anything he said. <laughs> but yep. I I love Gerald. Like I, I think he's doing an incredible job. I think a lot of people that I know love his content. I think he's pushing us forward. He's he's making me rethink like hey, have I done enough research? Like do, rock, do I rock, actually rock, rock. am I actually taking this seriously cuz Gerald is like really putting in the work and you can tell because his his content is so uh rich with information. Um, yeah, but I I think that's a good thing because I think that you know when a lot of people are trying to compete for a specific space yeah. And they forget about the evergreen content. So what what I mean is that, yes, you can make YouTube videos for beginners. And you can really dumb it down and you can really take them through a step-by-step instruction. And then you're fighting with absolutely everybody else who's doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. But by pigeonholing yourself into the advanced state, that's a good thing. And people use this word pigeonhole as a negative. I think it's a positive. Being pigeonholed essentially means you're the world's expert mm. at this. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be a world expert at what they do? Sure. So by you being the advanced guy, you being someone who the people go to when they outgrow the beginning stuff, well, guess what? There's not that many people playing in your sandbox. Sure. And now you're pigeonholed into being not the beginner stuff, you do it still in a fun Dave kind of way. You're still educating. You're still speaking English. You're still speaking to the consumer. But you're talking about stuff that the advanced people care about. And so what if it's a smaller niche? That niche is big enough still to sustain you forever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I think that the stuff, what Peter did was amazing. And if you, people forget his early beginnings, and I always like to remind you know, kind of the audience and people that I speak to, Peter started as a vlogger, if you remember. Yeah. And he didn't do well, so to speak, in inverted commas, because guess what? Nobody cared, right? <laughs> but when people, when he pivoted smartly to beginner tips and beginner how-tos, people still didn't care about Peter, but they cared about the way that he's explaining his content. They cared about the tips that he's giving. Yeah. And the more that he did that, then they fell in love with Peter and then when he pivoted away from just doing tech how-to videos, yeah. well, they were happy to follow him back into the vlogging world. So it was a very, very smart play of realizing, hold on, my audience isn't with me. What do I need to do to get my audience to be with me? Pivoting is possible. You just got to understand the audience to make the right call. Yeah, I remember a little over a year ago, we had Chris Howe and Lizzie Pierce on the show for the first time when I met them. And I, I talked to him off mic about that. I was like, at that time, about a year and a half ago, Peter was was moving away from uh, the tutorials and the Tuesday two minute Tuesdays and all that right. kind of stuff. Uh, the reviews he was reviewing he was reviewing gear uh, mm-hmm. for a time, and then also obviously Photoshop tutorials and stuff. And Chris said, "Yeah, he's uh, he's growing faster than ever. He's got two editors full time. He's yep. able to go to the office." shoot his video, go home and be with his family by four o'clock. He's got a, you know, he kind of had a breakdown and needed some time uh, to, to, you know, rejig himself to, to make mm-hmm. it uh, sustainable. And now I think he's obviously continued to, to grow forward and in his own way, become, you know, a celebrity in the, in the space. But 
so what I mean, wh- while we're on this topic, what is it about? I mean, you see this in <clears throat> in music. You see this in, in actors. There are these people that exist in the world for some reason that have this thing called charisma that we we say, uh, but I don't know if anybody can really put their finger on it. There are these rock stars amongst us, like Casey, like Justine, like Peter, like Sarah, uh, that they just have this thing about them. And when they get on the platform, like Casey, for example, he can make a video about how he's killing ants in his backyard and I want to watch the entire thing. And every time he posts a video, I just want to watch every single thing he does. And he's got this Mm -hmm. personality that is just so unbelievably contagious. How is that teachable? Is that something you can learn or is that just a rock star mentality that you're kind of born with this charisma? So it's both. Um, I think that you do get, okay. So, so go look at any big creator Go look at their videos, but look at their old videos, their original mm. videos. So you click on the videos tab and you sort by date uploaded. Sure. And look at your old stuff. And you noticed that they were just horrible like everybody else. They all sucked. <laughs> sure. They all did. Because we all suck at the beginning and you've got to own the suckage. And <laughs> those that own it and those that really understand it yeah. know how to grow with it. Yeah. What someone like Casey does he is a master storyteller. We could be watching 20 minutes of Casey literally going from his home to the airport. Uh-huh. And we would love every single second of it. And because he just tells a good story. Someone like Justine, someone like Sarah, they do a great job in being themselves and telling their story. Yeah. And I think the successful creators, and especially those that I work with, and I work with lots of people with multi-million sub kind of subscriber count yeah the, re- the, the reason they're really good not because they know their analytics or not because they know how to make a good thumbnail they just know how to really share information mm. they are just amazing at being themselves the a lot of people try to emulate those big creators exactly but you're yeah. not being yourself you're just being a copy of peter <laughs> mckinnon how, how many people started doing drone shots just because casey did yeah, Lots, tons. yeah, right. Uh, and it was just a copy. And funny enough, Casey re- released a video back then. He goes, "How to be a vlogger like Casey on Casey's channel." Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and he was calling them out and was saying, I feel like "Stop it was doing a parody. that." Yeah, it was a parody. You're right. Stop doing that. Like you're not me. You're not a copy. Be yourself. And you know how does that famous saying goes? Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the people that bring their personality and their quirks, by the way, because we don't want perfect. If we wanted perfect, we would watch TV. <laughs> we want to see someone doing blooper reels and we would want someone to mess up the words. Yeah. I mean, I did a video and by mistake to my detriment, I called it a router instead of a router. Now, <laughs> in South Africa, we say router. In the UK, you say router. Uh, <laughs> in America, you say router. But people had a field day with that in the comment section. Nice. Um, it is what it is. That's it. it take it or leave it. I'm not going to change everything because uh, you know someone's having a frothy <laughs> because they're not like yeah. the way I do things. Um, someone says, hey, you speak too quickly or you speak with your hands too much. Well, cool, dude. Don't watch. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's what it boils down to. Uh, I think when we try to adapt to be somebody else and try to, to please everyone – that's when we fell. So mm. 
Is it charisma? Is it good storytelling? It's neither. It's just you. It's yeah. why do I want to hang out with you when I see you at an event? Why do I want to grab some coffee with you? I don't want to talk to the persona that's Dave. I want to talk to Dave. And I think you're awesome and you got a good story and a good sense of humor and you have good experience and we have a good time. That's why I want to hang out. Now, if every time I hang out with you, I got a different version of Dave, then that's just weird. And now I don't want to hang out with Dave anymore. I don't know who I'm going to get, which of his personalities I'm going to get now. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing with YouTube. If you remember, all YouTube is is a storytelling platform. We've been telling stories for generations. Mm -hmm. The good stories get retold. The bad stories, well, we don't know about them because they're bad and we forgot about them along the journey. That's all YouTube is. It's a storytelling platform. Yeah. If you become this whole perfect like teleprompter trained CNN reporter that just doesn't miss a line and always on cue, well, it just it's a little bit fake. But when you go <laughs> Uh, oh, dang, I'm going to take this line again. And you just leave that blooper in. Yeah. People love that because they're making a connection with another human, not with this persona that we're supposed to connect with. One of the biggest changes uh, for me going from being a freelance, you know, filmmaker, director, editor to YouTube was, uh, was learning where that kind of, I think Roberto Blake says it well, the acceptable level of quality is and finding that acceptable point where it's like, okay, I, I could spend another probably six hours on this to make it perfect. Right. Uh, but it's acceptable and I just need to move on and shoot another video. By the way, if you've listened to by, uh, by now, um, you're clearly a fan of Leron. I just want to remind you guys, he does have a podcast where he dives into a lot of these topics, goes, goes even deeper with other creators so make sure to subscribe to the vidIQ podcast we'll link it in the show notes um what are some of the things the mistakes that are just kind of the the default mistakes that you see when you when you do these audits when you see people can you just kind of point out some of those uh just easy blinders that it seems like people have when you when you look at them you know on average i'm sure you're able to to find, uh, you know, everybody does this thing wrong, you know. <laughs> so the the big thing is no channel focus. So my channel does lots of things all over the place. And that is a really, really a key mistake. It's like you settling down to watch a Netflix movie. And as you start the movie, five minutes later, the news interrupts you. And then you go back to your movie. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, the sports come on. And you go, what's going on? I just want to watch this movie. And then it goes back to your movie. And then a music video pops up. And you go, that's it. I'm frustrated. I'm done. Yeah. Well, that's what you do on your channel when you're all over the place. Like People just don't know what you're doing. So lack of channel focus is absolutely critical. Lack of branding. So your biggest thing on your channel is your channel banner. Uh, mm -hmm. That needs to tell me in a split seconds the what and the why. What is your channel about? Why should I subscribe? Because remember, ultimately, people find your video in a search. Then they click on your name and they go to your channel and they check out what else you've got on your channel. And that's the biggest banner that they see. Yeah. So that needs to instantly grab my attention. Tell me your personality. What is this channel about? Why should I subscribe? So spend time doing that. Um, things like your titles and your thumbnails. Do not look at them individually. Look at them together. So 
your thumbnail has only got one mission to get someone to stop the scroll and go, oh, what's this? And then they glance over at your title and your title sells them on the click. Mm -hmm. So the mistake that people do is they think of the titles and thumbnails in isolation or they repeat the same text for some unknown reason all over the thumbnail and the exact same text all over the title. Or they give away the plot. So they hold up a camera and they go, this is the best camera you can get for $6.99. Okay, well, I don't need to watch your video now. You've just told <laughs> me everything I need to know, right? <laughs> but if you title it like five reasons why you should never buy this camera, go, ooh, now I'm, now a little bit, I'm a little bit more interested. So the biggest thing are channel focus. Don't forget your branding, your channel banner, your thumbnail and title together. And once you crack that combination, that is when you really accelerate your channel. And again, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, these are things that take time and they're, they're going to morph and change with time. It's just like if, if you ever create a budget for yourself each month, you, you learn to, okay, I actually need a little bit more for groceries each month and I need to subtract from this or that. And, uh, you know, it just takes time to build that out. But once you get it and you got that system going, then that's when you start to see, you know, Mr. Beast is really the kind of easy one to point to who's like a master at this where he's just, you know, every single one is a hit. Uh, Mark Rober, every single one, you know, he's just swinging, uh, you know, full swing every time. Um, yeah, because but look, at, but look at Mark Rober. If we're using Mark Rober as the example, people say like, do I need to produce three times a week or five times a week to really get those rankings? Mark Rober produces once a month. Dude, perfect. Or once a month. Yep. But every single one of them, as you said, is an epic production that you just cannot wait. Yeah. So once again, it's quality over quantity. People make content. Yeah. People actually want to watch. That's the bottom line. It's a story that people want to hear. There might be some people scratching their heads because, uh, you know, what was it two years ago, Jake and Logan Paul and then Casey were doing daily vlogs and even Dobrik was doing three a week. It seemed like algorithmically there was a favoritism towards daily or, or is it just the, the compound views of those channels? Every video they post gets 3 million views. So why not make one a day and then we get 3 million views a day and then compound that in a month. Sure. That's significantly more views than you would have if you just posted once a month. But so, uh, yes, so that, that is definitely a strategy. And essentially if you have the content, you could absolutely kill it. So someone, someone, look at a channel like WWE, the wrestling, the wrestling channel. They're producing three, four, five videos a day. So <laughs> once you do that, YouTube has no choice but to recommend you constantly, constantly recommend you. And that's yeah. when quality, that's when quantity, sorry, beats quality. But I will say that their quality of their videos is still superb because they've got entire teams they've got years yeah. and years of content unless you're in that kind of position doing daily vlogs will burn you out a, a lot of people get burned out by daily vlogs yeah. and is the reward there maybe but i have seen more people have longevity on the platform by yeah. not doing daily vlogs just doing good quality content once a week that people actually care about mm -hmm. so don't don't get um, suckered into. I need to do daily vlogs. Sure. I don't know a single happy story of one daily vlogger that said, "Oh, 
I, I stopped because I loved it so much. <laughs> Not once. <laughs> I think uh, one a week is like a great just kind of baseline. Like when people ask me, uh, you know, Dave, how many videos should I post? Um, that's kind of like, that is like the ultimate goal, I think. Yeah, is like If you can nail like one good video a week, that's kind of the default answer. But you do have the exception like Rober, but he's taking a full month to make that one video. Exactly. Like there's, he's like, so I built a squirrel playground in my <laughs> yeah. backyard and I observed it every single day for a month. Here are my findings. It's like, okay, well, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I agree. I agree. I think once a week is a good sustainable kind of schedule that yeah. people can keep up with. And in fact, once a week, it means that if you can get four videos done by doing bulk bulk shooting in one day, you, you can be a month ahead, <laughs> which gives you a lot of opportunity to really focus on the next month and in the next yep. month. So one a week, I think, is it should be the minimum. But again, it's down to your niche, down to your audience. Sure. See what they love. Um. Other platforms, we got TikTok, we got Twitter, we got Instagram. Twitter is its own thing. You know, I, I don't, I don't even understand it. My friend Drew Photo had some viral success, and he still doesn't even know uh, <laughs> how to use it. But because uh, we're good friends, and I talked to him about it. And, um, but uh, one thing with us, I, I did a couple parodies. A lot of the listeners probably know about you know the parodies that I did. I did one on Apple with Justine and Sarah Dietschy that was just a blast and then the Gear Guy video and um recently I I I I experimented with let's see if I can do one parody in 24 hours and I and I was able to pull it off but, uh, and they didn't do well on my channel because it was exactly what we were saying my channel was used to gear reviews and then what's this random kooky thing that I didn't subscribe to and, it, and they all tanked. Um, but as an artist, I was like very proud of them. I, I had a lot of fun making them. My friends and, and colleagues enjoyed them. Um, but once I put them on TikTok, they kind of blew up because that platform sure. was, geared, was for geared for it. And I remember talking to you about it and you're like, and I was like, what do I do? You know, how do I get my views up? And you're like, oh, the, the answer is simple. You're a TikToker. I was like, oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't the answer I was listening, looking for, but um, but sometimes that may be the case. Maybe maybe you are more of a photographer, and and those are your your skills, and you're struggling with the video side. Maybe instead of trying to force a YouTube channel because you just think like, oh, I need a YouTube channel, dive into Instagram and just become a Completely. master at Instagram. There's plenty of people making tons of money on Instagram. Um, same for TikTok. You know, if, if you happen to have a younger demographic, if you happen to be into comedy or music related things, maybe TikTok's the way to go, especially now that it's going to be allowed. <laughs> well, well, we, we're not out of the woods yet. But, yeah. Uh, you know, the thing is with YouTube, it's like the sexy beast in the room. Like people, you know, they, they want to be YouTubers and that's why people are for, kind of forcing themselves onto that platform. But as you said, TikTok is still here TikTok is still a thing and people are really you I mean you can earn a good living on TikTok you can earn a great living on Instagram there's no reason to forcefully go onto a platform that you're not comfortable with 
or that maybe isn't your vibe. If you remember, um, LinkedIn video was supposed to be the rage and everybody was getting onto LinkedIn because it was YouTube 101 and you could get in really early. I'm not subscribed to that. I think that different platforms have different audiences and that's why it goes back to know, know thy audience and <laughs> understand where they live. And if they're on TikTok, then what are you doing on YouTube? Go hang out with them on TikTok. That's great. Now, if you want to migrate them to YouTube and you want to make longer form content, you have to realize that it works very, very differently. It's not going to be one of those, oh, I didn't get 100,000 views in 24 hours, therefore I suck at YouTube. Uh -huh. No, it just it works differently to the TikTok algorithm. So whatever you happen to be on, make sure you understand that platform and don't try to take the same content from somewhere else reformat it in a different square format or whatever the ratio is and simply shove it down into Facebook or down into LinkedIn or down into um, Instagram Reels. It just doesn't work. Make it for that platform and then you'll see success. I think uh, another thing a lot of our, our audience may struggle with is like, well, I'm a, I do this for the art. I'm, I'm a photographer, I'm a filmmaker, and maybe, maybe for a living, you know, before the pandemic you shoot weddings or, or you shoot corporate right. corporate events or or whatever and you just want to have an outlet to create art i think again i want to remind people you did say at the beginning like if you just want to as a hobby do this and, and just put it out there um that's fine but i've definitely had conversations with friends who are very and i'm talking very talented filmmakers who are extremely frustrated with youtube and they're mm -hmm. like, I've spent months on this film, and uh, clearly it's an amazing film. Uh, it is. You know, if you actually click on it and watch it all the way through, it's a fabulous piece. But it's got 10,000 views on it, and then the review that I did of this thing has, you know, a million or whatever. Sure. Uh, again, it comes back to your audience. Can you build an audience uh, doing art, you know? Uh it still works oh, the same, right? It's just you got to niche it into that. But you also got to re have realistic expectations. And yeah. you got to understand that people are used to five-minute videos. Now you're hitting them with a 45-minute full feature film. Sure. That's a very, very, very different audience that's going to watch that. So can you grow by being an artist on YouTube? Absolutely. We've seen this time and time again. But you do have to yeah. realign your expectations. Stop watching the press and seeing all these unicorns with a crappy little video of you sitting in the corner, you know, eating a yogurt, and that gets a million views. And you go, well, I'm wasting my time here. Well, no, it's just different stuff. <laughs> um, and the one thing I say working with a lot of, dare I say, creative types in inverted commas, the problem is that you're so perfectionist and everything has got to be perfect and it's got to be the right light it's got to be right color and corrections and it's got to be the right audio levels and if it's not you'll reshoot the same scene 13 times where in reality the youtube audience is very very forgiving all mm. we want is good content on youtube yeah they, and i say this to everyone you're so critical of your own video especially the creative types are so critical of their own content 
And I, but yet they've just watched six other videos and they couldn't tell me how the lighting was or how did the audio sound or did the, did the creator do a good job in delivering? They couldn't tell me any of that because they weren't looking <laughs> for it. They were yeah. just enjoying the content. Yeah. But yet for your own one, especially as a creator, you go, no, no, it's expected from me. I cannot send out something that my hair is out of place and I didn't notice. And But that's fine. You can still do that. But all that additional pressure that you're putting on is just adding more and more time to your editing, just adding more and more time to your learning. Because once you put it out there, well, you're going to wait so many more weeks, if not months, before you put your next production out there. The learning period is just too long between them. So it's very difficult to grow that way. I can't agree more. Um, let me go over. We I, I did post on Twitter. And if you don't follow me on Twitter uh, and you're a Twitter person, oh, you go should. over there. Follow me at Dave Mays. Also, Liron is is uh, active on Twitter as well. At the... No, you're not at Techie Guy. You're at Liron underscore Segev. Um, is that, is that well done. Well, well, well said. Well said. Um, and we'll link all this in the show notes, of course, of this podcast. Um I just put put it on there, you know, if you could ask Leron any question, he's a YouTube expert, what question would you have right now? So the first question is from VJ. Can we have higher bitrate quality uploads for videos? Cough cough Vimeo like. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> like for like for client work, etc., even if it's a paid service. Um that's an interesting question. I I don't really hear that question often, but uh I mean YouTube's always kind of upgrading things, right? Um, yeah, I mean, YouTube is going to build for the masses. So I, I, unless the masses start to demand this, uh, it's probably pretty low on their priority list. <laughs> yeah, just keep using Dropbox, Vimeo, uh, or not Vimeo. Vimeo, get your get your crap off of Vimeo, everybody. If you're listening to this and you've got your work on Vimeo, um, I'm nervous about Vimeo. I they have I have friends who. Um, they found like one or two copyright strikes and then they just kill everything. They delete everything. Um, and I know a lot of people rely on Vimeo or at least used to rely on it for their work. Um, so I don't trust them. Uh, I think they're probably not doing well financially. Get all your work off of there and use either Dropbox or frame.io is an incredible oh, yes. app, um, for collaboration. Have you used that Liron? Uh Totally. Frame.io, frame I, whenever I have any, any national project with lots of people and reviews and editing, it's just a simple program. You logged into the website, you hit up the video, you can do your notes. Superb. And the thing that's amazing about the app too is the integration with the NLEs. I think they've got a plug-in for both Premiere right. and Final Cut. So while you're editing, you can you can send it directly there from your editor. And I believe the notes can even come in can come back into your editor and and apply nice. to your footage which is crazy so like if you get a note at time code 30 seconds um it shows up in your timeline on your editor brilliant, brilliant. very very cool stuff so don't use youtube as a professional nah. way to deliver stuff um okay so at kevin ross asks even though this can be viewed as a dream career path but viable what are some strategies you implement to help minimize the feeling that this dream starts to become more like a job. <laughs> I like the way you phrase that. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's going to take work. That's as simple as that. This, there isn't a magic penicillia that cures all ills. You'll simply upload this in this format. It's going to go viral and you're going to earn a million dollars. Those just 
very, very far and few in between. So is it a job? Yes, of course it's a job. And it's a very hard job. And the job is you be, you're going to be filming, you're going to be producing, you're going to be writing a script, you're going to be editing, especially at the beginning. You have to learn how to do SEOs. You're going to have to understand your data. You have to upload. And then guess what? You're going to have to rinse and repeat uh, a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what that's the work that's involved with YouTube. And I said openly, not everyone's cut out to be a YouTube creator. Just It just takes that much work. Yeah. But those that are willing to invest that work, like willing to invest in gear and willing to invest in education and willing to invest their time, could it be rewarding? Absolutely. Do you have to wait till you're huge to do brand deals? Definitely not. Could it be profitable really early on? Absolutely. But you got to be committed, just like any other business, you got to hustle to make it happen. Yeah, I just uh, recently was uh, in a new location. I, I met I met somebody new and um, their daughter was there and they asked me what I do for a living. And I said, I, I make YouTube videos. And she said, shh, don't say that. I was like, why? She's like, my daughter wants to be a YouTuber. I don't want her to hear that you're full time. Like, why? Like, and I was, I was being, you know, obviously I understand the kind of joke there, but, um, but I was like, no, it's, it's a real thing. I'm, I'm able to feed my entire family. My wife can stay home with the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been a very success. I've actually had more success as a YouTuber than as a freelance filmmaker, uh, ever. Um, so it's a very viable career path. However, like you just said, you have to put the work in just like anything. I mean, you're not going right. to, it's a, it's a self-employed job. So you're running your own business, you're running your own brand. So whether you're starting a restaurant or, or whatever, as an entrepreneur, any entrepreneurial, uh, job is just a ton of work. So, and I will say that even for the parents out there whose kids are saying, I want to become a YouTuber and all of that, and you may be not supporting that for whatever the reason can be. What you can tell the kids is right now is you want to be a YouTuber. Great. Learn how to edit, yeah. learn how to do th how to do Photoshop, get really proficient at Photoshop, get really proficient at video editing skills, get really proficient at writing blog posts. Those skills are transferable to anything else in case yeah. YouTube doesn't work out. Don't really focus on the negative of saying, oh, I'm going to create pranks and uploading it to YouTube. That's not a thing right now. Right now, if the kids are young, especially, and they're excited by YouTube, awesome. Use that as a way to get them to learn those skills, which will take them very far in life in whatever job they happen to be or whatever business they happen to start, even if it's not YouTube. I mean, Dave, you know yourself, if you know how to do Photoshop well, yeah. and you know how to um, edit and crop and color correct and all of those <laughs> skills, yeah. well, that's going to take you to from making your own business cards to your own t-shirts, to your own flyers in your restaurants, to everything else that you do. Oh, and by the way, it's going to help you if you're a YouTuber as well. Yeah, to make thumbnails. <laughs> At Abby Howe asks, how would a small channel, 20,000 subs, uh, uh, approximately approach business uh, approach businesses for potential sponsorships i'm specifically wondering the best ways to contact and what to put in your media kit okay <laughs> so basically so, yeah, how do you reach out to these sponsors even if you have a you know a decent audience of around twenty thousand? 
all right so so a quick disclosure here i know abby well um and <laughs> okay so with, with abby i have what and actually my recent episode i did with her on tube talk which is the podcast that we were referring to earlier was it was a case study almost of how she was so resistant to changing a focus on her channel because she wanted to do lots of stuff uh-huh. and she did she focused her channel and went from 500 subscribers to 20,000 subscribers in a couple of months so oh my gosh so, wow. so full disclosure i do know abby um but it's a good question <laughs> it's about um because i've been on her case of why she's not reaching out to brands so i think this was her uh-huh. way of getting me to talk which was very smart abby thank you um so <laughs> as a small creator how can you approach brands well very simply all brands want to know is a return on investment uh-huh. if they invest one dollar can they get three dollars back that's all they care about now if you're a small creator and you have an audience and your audience is super interested and super niche and super engaged with what you're doing that's an audience that you can sell to a brand and say to a brand look we should work together because i can get your product out the door i can get your my audience to at least watch your product to at least engage with your product and then they have to make a buying decision and that's up to them so as a small creator, the first thing I would do is make a list. Make a list, and by the way, this applies to huge creators because huh, I deal with this all the time and people just don't do this exercise. But they all say, hey, I wanna work with brands. And I always reply, say, cool, name 10 brands right now. And people maybe do two, maybe three, uh-huh. and then they're stuck. So, okay. so make a list of 10 brands you wanna work with. Then the next exercise is, well, what are you going to offer these brands? Why do they fit within your channel? Are they, are you going to do a tutorial for them on a new product that they have? Are you going to do a review on a new gear that they're launching? Are you going to do just a product shout out or some collaboration with them? What is it you want to do for that brand? You can't just reach out to the brand and say, Hey, I want to work with you. What does that mean? Hey, I want you to pay me. (laughs) I want you to pay me. Don't ask questions. That's never going to work. Right. Okay. Um, So 10 brands you need to have, you need to realize what you want to do with each and every single one of them. And then you've got to work out, well, what are they into at the moment? Are what's important to the brand? Go stalk them on all the social medias, go see what they're up to. What are they tweeting about? So you keep on saying that Twitter, you're not so sure about, well, Twitter is the biggest gateway to your brands because they're actively on brands and they have something called ORM online reputation management, which means that they're listening to any conversation that mentions them. So when you start mentioning that brand, say, hey, I just bought this new washing machine from Samsung, that's going to be one ping on their system. And next Uh time you're going to do, hey, check how cool this washing machine from Samsung is. That's two pings. And hey, really loving this, you say, that's three pings. All of a sudden, you're on their radar. And when they start tweeting on something or when they engage on other social medias and you happen to be there, not self-promoting, but really enhancing the conversation, all of a sudden you start getting onto their radar. So when you want to reach out to them, now you're not this rando stranger out of the blue just wanting money. Hey, we recognize this person. Why do I know this name? Oh, let me look it up. Oh, right. I see. This person really genuinely loves our product. So in which case, it's a nice fit. So 10 brands, what do you want to do with them? Stalk them on your various various platforms, engage with them authentically. And then when you do reach out to them, 
reach out to them with something. Don't, hey, I want to work with you, send money here. It's got to be more of a well-thought-out email, very personal. Attach your media kit, and your media kit is something that every single creator needs to have, which is all the important stats of your channel. And the media kit is essentially your agent. It's going to speak for you inside the brand. So typically what happens, somebody would receive your email, your fantastically crafted email with your amazing pitch and a great idea and your media kit. They might not be the one making a decision. So they're going to forward that email to somebody else on their team. So your brand now, your media kit becomes your spokesperson. So when this little kit lands up, PDF lands up on somebody's desk, and they say, hey, great pitch. Let's see who this person is. Double click on the media kit. And all of a sudden, it's got these amazing stats, some personal information. Some Now it becomes a real thing. Okay, this person is serious. Yes, let's engage with them. Or mm. let's not engage with them. Or let's put them on a maybe list. But you're giving yourself the best opportunity to be seen by those brands. And the final bit on those brands, when it comes to brands, there are lots of ways of working with them. Some of them is maybe a product in exchange for some sort of mention or some sort of shout out. It could be a collaboration. It could be a paid for review or a paid for engagement. It could be a long-term campaign. There are lots of ways to engage with the brands. And if it's the first time that you're dealing with brands, what's always great is to make them look good. At the end of the day, if the brand manager, the person, the agent that you're dealing with, if they look like a hero, you over-delivered. Instead of doing one tweet, you did 20. Instead of doing one video, you did two. And they now look like heroes. Well, guess what? When your next campaign comes up, and maybe that is a paid-for campaign, you're top of their list because now they look amazing. So wow. just some quick tips there. I know we ran through them quite quickly. but Oh, I, my gosh. No, I mean, <laughs> holy cow. What If you're listening to this, for free, which I know you are, you just got some incredible information. Uh, wow. I mean, I could tell you, I did my first brand deal with Samsung and I had less than a thousand subscribers when I did that, that deal. Wow. What a so, great, that's a great strategy. I, if you start to see Andy Mogul tweeting about certain brands, you know why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll take 10%. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wow. Yeah. Great, great answer to that question. I'm sure Abby is thrilled with that answer. Let's just end with this, uh, this last question. Um, this is from, uh, at Uranri I don't know. Twitter handles are hard. I, I, um, I butcher names all the time. It's terrible. <laughs> when working full time, how would you suggest going about staying consistent on YouTube? So say you have a full-time job mm -hmm. in something completely unrelated um, obviously most people who start out on YouTube are probably in that exact same boat. Um, you know, what are some methods that you've seen other creators and some methods that you've even done yourself to, to kind of do YouTube on the side as you're growing it? So the biggest thing is understanding how to batch produce and batch form. So what I would typically do is pick a day where maybe it's a weekend, maybe it's a Sunday morning and everyone is still sleeping and you happen to get up really early and don't film one video then, film four videos then. And you do that by doing all the prep work, obviously, ahead of time. So you spend the evenings 
by really having your script down and your bullet points and knowing what you're going to speak about. So when it comes to film day, you know you've got two hours to film four little segments. And, and it's very, very doable if everything is prepped ahead of time. Now, the pro tip here is have four different shirts waiting for you. <laughs> so you put in a green one for the first video, a blue one for the second one. You know what I mean? So it doesn't sure. look like you film them all in, in, in one sitting. Change your white and, balance by a couple notches. <laughs> change your angle slightly, that kind of thing. And just basically batch produce because the hardest part is filming. Then the editing you can always do with some headphones on whilst you're doing something else. And the scripting and all of that you do ahead of time. But it's all about getting prepared. And the more prep that you're able to do, the faster it is you're able to produce it. And try having a room where as little to set up as possible. So your camera is already ready. It's already on a tripod. Your lights are already plugged in. So you walk into the room, you switch your lights on, you get your camera, you adjust it, you stand there, and then you start hitting the, hitting your lines. The less that you got to do, the more you'll be able to produce. If you got to start from scratch every single time, just the thought of it is enough to put you off for not doing it. Wow. So, it's just side hustle that way. And this is a uh, this is from at Dave Mays. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dave Mays. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. You still are active on your thetechyguy.com. Uh, is there a, a strategy there with having SEO? Um, on a, on your own actual blog or website uh, with your strategy on YouTube? It's both a strategy for YouTube, but it's mainly for something else. So okay. with YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever the platforms are, you don't own the platform. So yep. you're always in somebody else's hands. It's their notification. It's their ability to connect with users. So especially with YouTube, you might have subscribers, but you don't know what their email addresses are. You have no way to reach out to them. So you're building your castle on somebody else's island, which is great, but you've got to play by their rules. So if they do a YouTube algorithm change or if they do a notification change, there's really nothing you can do. But when you're building your blog, your own, your own island and your own castle, and you can control your own notification by building your mailing list and you're interacting with your audience directly. So you're able to not just have all your lines in one place, so you know, the eggs in one basket, but this way I'm able to really connect with my users, really get their email addresses, um, send them new posts when they come out. So yes, of course it helps with SEO and of course it helps with pushing viewers, um, readers to, to viewers, and the other thing is that not everyone wants to read everything. Sometimes you might have certain blog posts which people want to copy and paste from. They want to use it in their own documents. They want to print something else and take it to the shop so they can know what to buy, what recipes to buy, what products go well together. You can't do that from a video. But by having your blog, you're having your own platform, your own ability to control your audience, and are just de-risking everything. So... I never stop blogging. I always continue that whilst yeah. I'm building up my channel. Um, I just did a little quick experiment with one of my recent videos when I was talking about the different types of password managers that are available out there. And I started the video by saying, look, we're not going to agree which is the best password manager. It's like trying to convince you that Apple's better than Android or that pizza has, should have pineapple or coffee is better than tea. None of us are going to agree on this. 
But if you click on the link below, then I've compared 10 password managers to each other so you can make an informed decision. And people clicked on that link. Obviously, they needed to give the email address to get that, that document. But that grows your mailing list. Now I have people that I can communicate with. And if they ticked on that box to say, hey, we're happy to receive your stuff, because obviously yeah. by law you need to, well, now I have a bigger audience that I can communicate with. So wow. that's my reason for having the blog at the same time. And you, you, you do think there's still value in 2020 to having a, a healthy uh, email list? Oh, absolutely. Guess what's the one thing that you need when you sign up to any system in the world? Email. It's an email address. Uh-huh. What's the one application we still check religiously, whether we like it or not? There's email. <laughs> That's it. Uh, and yet people are still ignoring it. They're saying blogging is dead and email is dead. Well, I disagree. Uh, I think that <laughs> it's something that you can, in a non-intrusive way, be able to appear in someone's mailbox. Uh, I think email, a, any bit of work that you do, most of us do it via email. I can't think of a single time I've landed a big brand deal because of a DM. It might start as a DM, <laughs> but very quickly it moves to contracts and all yeah. of that gets sent via email. I mean, so email's where it's at. The fact that you, that you, people are not growing their mailing list now is a huge, huge opportunity to close the gap between mm. you and your audience. Well, I think uh, that's a great way to end this conversation. Maybe we'll have you on uh, to continue this conversation if you'd like to join us again in the future. We, we definitely would love to have you again. Um, Absolutely. YouTube is always changing. The internet's always changing. I mean, this the last six months couldn't have changed more uh, than <laughs> any of us could have ever imagined. So who knows where we'll be in a year from now, but we'd love to have you on again. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Liron. Ah, thank you for having me. It's been lots of fun. And this talking shop is the stuff that we miss at events. So it's great to be at least have this opportunity to do it with the podcast. Absolutely. Go check out Liron. Uh, again, linked in the show notes, everything. Uh, his personal YouTube channel and blog, we'll link that. His Twitter, which is very active on. Are you, You're on Instagram too, I guess. But I, I am, I, I am. I don't use, yeah, I don't really use it. I kind of open it. <laughs> it's like email for me i just open it and look at it yeah yeah okay there's uh, and then you're done <laughs> there's so many people rolling their eyes at me right now because i know a lot of people love it but um i am not uh, one of those people I, I got tired of instagram when every per picture had to be absolutely perfect <laughs> and i like that's not the real world come on people i was <laughs> yeah, done exactly well thank you again liron and uh we'll have to talk soon absolutely thanks for having me I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Liron again. I will link all of his stuff in the show notes below. And if you're waiting for the end of this podcast to go to polarpro.com to check out the amazing filters that I hyped up at the beginning of this show, go there right now, polarpro.com and check out the new Peter McKinnon filters that we just dropped. I'm super grateful that Liron took his time to talk to us today. There was so much information there and the fact that he just gave it all away for free in this podcast is truly amazing. So go show him some love on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube and leave a comment and say, hey, I heard you on the Golden Hour podcast and it was awesome and you're awesome. Thank you, Liron, for everything. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio and we'll see you next week.